All right, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. My name is Caleb Farnworth, and today I am writing solo on the podcast. Hannah is currently sleeping. The kids are asleep, so I just thought I would record something myself. You know, I try a lot of different things to get into different hobbies, um, different things, and I really like the idea of podcasting, and I like the idea of using kind of your voice and your message to kind of explain who you are. I think it's an interesting dynamic because you're not showing video. It's really just all about your vocal and um, you have to be kind of imaginative of what it looks like. Whenever I listen to people on the radio or a podcast, I always like to look up what they look like. I think it's interesting to, you create, I guess, a sense of a person um, behind the microphone. Um, so it's always interesting for me to really find out what people look like and and kind of who they are as people. So hopefully you know me. I don't really intend for people who don't know me to listen to this. So hopefully you know what I look like. But if not, I guess I hope you're imagining someone who is just as cool as I am, I guess you could say. Well, I kind of wanted to go in a little bit of who I am um, for my posterity or anyone who's listening to this. Um, I kind of, I have the mentality of, wanting to always do the right thing. I think a lot of my life I was run by guilt and a lot of it was run by shame, Um, not by other people, but by myself. So when I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I went to Sweden and it was really interesting because it was a chance for me to kind of start over and start anew, um, which I felt like I really needed in my life. And it was the first time that I went somewhere where I thought I could be a completely new person. And I really, I really latched onto that idea and really latched onto the idea of um, kind of being my own self. And so throughout most of my life, I had always done different things that I guess made me feel certain ways. Um, I, what am I trying to say here? I guess I was always kind of the kind of person that would put on a face. I always felt like I could be the funny kid. I could hide behind humor. Um, And it was something that I was really confident doing and being. But it wasn't until my mission that I kind of decided that I wanted to be more of my authentic self, which was hard because I really didn't know what my authentic self was at that point. So I get to Sweden and I meet these people that I fall in love with. And I just, I want to give them everything I have but I really didn't know exactly who or what that was um, that I needed to give them. Uh, And it took a lot of time. It took uh, a few months of really searching for myself and, and who I wanted to be authentically. And once I did find that, I think it really was a game changer for me. I remember about seven months into my mission, I, cause it's a two year, it's a two year deal. So you serve for two years and then you come home. And I remember about seven months in, I realized that I had morphed into this person that I was really proud of, that I really was excited to be. And instantly, I think the fear then comes in of, oh shoot, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere else. And this is not going to be who I am anymore. Um, and so we continue on for the 
for the two years, and I am a little bit distracted. I'm a little bit nervous about... I. It was funny because I never felt like the future could get better than what the present was. I always remember thinking that. Oh, this will be the best part. Oh, I've peaked now. Um, but then I was just constantly surprised that it just got better and better. And when I got to my last area, it's Yun Shipping, um, I think that's when I really realized that I had something unique to offer. And that was just who I was as a person. Um, it was someone that not other, other people had. Um, and so I, I really decided then that I was going to be authentic and I was going to be myself and, and I was a little apprehensive and a little nervous, but I, I did it. And, and I made some of relationships that have, that have lasted the, the test of time. And, and I don't know, I feel like I did really good things there. Obviously we're there to teach people about our church, but I feel like it ends up being such a deeper experience. Not that, you know, the church isn't deep or, or a part of who you are, but I think it became such a deeper experience of finding yourself and, and really allowing what you believe the Lord can do with you if you really just allow him to do that. And I, I came home from my mission and I promised myself that I would never allow shame, guilt, or fear to run my life again. Um, and I, and I, I like to think that for the most part, I've stayed true to that. I think it's hard once you get back into life and, and you are listening to the voices of, because the, the mission is so interesting because you are just so alone, which sounds terrible and sounds scary, but I mean, you're not talking to your family at that time. You, you were not to talk, you talk to your family twice a year and a lot of people think that's terrible, and but it really is just this isolating experience of finding yourself. I think you hear a lot of times people will travel Europe and they'll backpack through there, and you know they they'll do it by themselves, and you know very meta experience. But I think that that's something that the mission was for me is it was a chance to really let go of everything that had tied a, an emotional string to me. If you will, I cut loose all of those strings and really started to form authentic and true f- to true strings from me to other people. Um, and so then I came home, and I'll never forget. Um, I was a little bit more serious, a little bit quieter, um, and and I remember, I remember I was sitting at my parents' house, and a relative came up to me and said, "Oh, so are you not funny anymore?" and because I had just, I was serious that whole night. I mean, obviously you have the shock of coming back to America, seeing your family again. So there's a lot of emotion, but I'll never forget her saying that to me. So are you not funny anymore? And I, and I realized that it wasn't that I wasn't funny anymore. It's that I wasn't putting on a show anymore, that I was being more authentic. I was being who I really believe I am. Um, so I don't know. Interesting, interesting. The things that stick with you, interesting, the things that uh, really leave their mark. Um, and so I get home from my mission and I realize that everyone else's life had carried on for those two years. My brother was getting married. Um, my younger siblings, my younger brother was getting ready to go on a mission. My sister was graduating from high school and it was just all these things that were happening. And while I had been 
doing this giant character development of who I was, um, and everyone else was just kind of carrying on with their lives, which they needed to do and I needed to do, but you just, I don't know. It's just, it's a very weird feeling to see their image of you froze two years ago while you went on this trip and, and developed who you are as a person. And then they, they are just catching up. Um, anyways, so I won't talk too much long about that, too much longer about that, but I just think that was such an interesting dynamic, um, for me to really experience that change away from everything. And I think it's been for the better. I, you know, I am a lot happier of a person now and, and not to say that I don't have bouts of guilt or bouts of shame that enter into my life, but, um, I think for the most part, I try to live more authentically and, and while I think that can get me into trouble at times and, and has caused, you know, relationships to not, I don't want to say crumble, fade is a better word, um, to maybe fade away, but I think it's hard to live those fake relationships or those more shallow relationships when, when you're working harder at, at being authentic to yourself. So authenticity is important to me. And, and I feel like I have a few, um, a few solid relationships in my life where I feel like I can be authentic with them. Um, but you know, it, it's not worth my time to be in a relationship where I feel like I have to perform or I feel like they, that I, that they're looking for a certain version of myself. Um, I feel like you see it a lot of movies or TV shows when, you know, a character, I don't even know the, like the character isn't accepted for who they truly are. So then they kind of morph into what other people want them to be. I'm sure that's a movie somewhere, but, um, I don't know. So that's just one thought going through my head right now as I sit here in front of this microphone. Um, but hobbies. So I want to, I want to get into this, uh, this idea of hobbies. I've tried a lot of different things. Um, to be as hobbies, you know, it was funny when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a collector. I always wanted something that I collected. And I, I remember for a little bit, it was rocks. And then I always wanted to collect like random things like stamps, you know, how people are stamp collectors. And then I wanted to be a coin collector. And, um, and I always wanted to be like, this was my collection. And, and I think over time, I just needed this like identity. Like I wanted to be something I wanted. I remember I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be, um, I remember I wanted to be an architect and I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to be all these things that I feel like were just titles. Like I didn't really want to help people as far as hospitals go. I didn't want to be a doctor that would heal people. I wanted to be a doctor that was like successful or like rich or I wanted, I had so many aspirations, but they were very shallow aspirations. Um, or I wanted to be an architect because I wanted to design cool buildings, um, that I could kind of put my name on and people could give me that esteem. Um, but it wasn't until, like I said, my mission, when I really became this authentic self that I did realize like I wanted to help people. Um, but it wasn't going to be through medical school. Um, because it just didn't interest me. The human body doesn't interest me in the way of wanting to take biology and those kind of things, which is, which I think is fine. Um, and so I switched to business. I was doing, so I was doing pre-med in, in college and then I switched to business. 
and it lacked personality to me. I think business was very analytical. It was very numbers and spreadsheets and and how you can, you know, essentially just increase numbers. Um, and I just felt like something was missing. So I found a program at um, Univers- Utah Valley University, and it was a community health with an emphasis in healthcare administration. So it had an emphasis in business while the root lied in community health. And I just thought that was so perfect. That worked so well for me. So I I started doing that and it really was like my niche. Like I like I loved it. I loved having the numbers, but I loved having the numbers of around people and around the sense of creating something that was good. And we live in the United States, we live in a healthcare crisis world right now where healthcare re- costs are rising so much it's starting to affect the care. I mean, some people can't afford to go to the hospital, so they just avoid the hospital. And I think that's that's terrible. And and so being in administration, I feel like I have a chance or an opportunity to help curve healthcare in the right direction. Um and to help, you know, bring a change that's a positive change to um to the country. And and it's hard because so after Utah, uh, Utah Valley University, I went and I started my graduate program at the University of Utah, and I'm getting a master's of healthcare administration. And almost every single class, regardless if it's a finance class or if it's an ethics class or if it's a leadership class, we talk about this healthcare crisis the United States is facing right now, where our prices is higher um, per GDP or yeah GDP. It's higher than any other country in the world. We spend more on healthcare and we don't even have the highest quality of care. And so, so we are faced with such this, uh, this issue where we have to change the way we've thought about healthcare. And I think one of the thoughts there is we can go to what a socialistic country like Sweden or Denmark would do, where it's a single payer system. So the government you know, controls healthcare costs, they control all healthcare, or we can go um, to more, you know, the capitalistic way where there's private insurers and there's the private market. And that's kind of what we look like now. But the question is, what is right? And I think it, it comes down to this idea of like, well, is healthcare a right or is it a privilege? And countries like Sweden, they treat it like a right. Every single person should have access to care regardless of your social economical status. Um, but in the United States, it's treated almost as a privilege. You know, can you afford your healthcare premiums? Do you have a job that has benefits? Um, you know, how are you getting your healthcare? And it's a privilege because there's so many uninsured. And so I think it comes down to a lot has to change and a lot of people have to suffer. Um, and when I say suffer, I mean, we have to look, reduce costs, and that's going to reduce payroll. That's going to reduce um, suppliers. I mean, everyone's going to take a hit, but do is it worth creating a system where everyone benefits from? And so I think that's an interesting idea, and I think that's something that I really want to have a, be a focal point for my career. I, I'm taking a leadership class by um, a man named Joe Horton, and he is, besides being almost everything I want to be in life, he is uh, an extreme example of a good leader. He led Primary Children's Hospital, uh, Intermountain's Primary Children's Hospital, for, I think he was with the organization for 
I, I don't know the exact number, but I know longer than 10 years. And he served as their uh, CEO and his mantra for life or his value lies with protecting the vulnerable. And I think that's such a special idea, um, protecting the vulnerable. Um, when I was able to meet with him one-on-one, -on -one, we talked a lot about he's worked with um, child abuse. He's worked with the homeless. And when I kind of asked him, I said, what is your, what's your um, motivating force or what's, what's the driving force in your life? And he said, you know, I want to protect the vulnerable. And who is more vulnerable than a sick child? And, and I think that's such a epic way of thinking is, is protecting that vo the vulnerable population is higher than, uh, higher than anything else. So I think I'm going to steal from Professor Horton and take that as one of my life goals is to protect the vulnerable. And in a very real way, I think that is, I've seen that in a, both in a spiritual way as far as well as just an emotional way that I do feel you know, there are such, there's such vulnerable populations out there and, you know, protecting them is something that we should all, all do. And it can look different to different people. Some people can feel protecting the vulnerable is, you know, giving money to the people on the side of the road that are, that are asking for it. Um, volunteering could be protecting the vulnerable or sometimes even just listening. Um, we have these new billboards that are up um, along the freeway. And I, I think it's a brilliant campaign, but it's from the suicide hotline or the, you know, I don't know exactly the organization, the American Association of Suicide Prevention, um, but they have pictures of people sitting with people and the caption says, this is suicide prevention, you know, or, or playing or playing catch with your son, you know, this is suicide prevention. Um, because I think so many people don't know how to do it. They don't know how to help. But, I mean, the reality is, in the, and it comes down to the fact that, you know, just doing it, just being with someone, that's suicide prevention. And so I think in a larger sense, taking that step back, you know, doing anything is protecting the vulnerable. Um, finding those populations who you feel need it and, and being willing to stick your head out and put your... Uh, your kind of money where your mouth is, um, I think is, I think is a noble and worthy cause. So I don't know, that's my little spiel about healthcare and where I'd like to go as a leader. Um, my life goals, um, I really, my wife is a marriage and family therapist student right now. And having suffered from a lot of mental illnesses myself and her, um, I find it extremely important to give back to that community. So I want to work within mental health to create, I guess, kind of that idea that mental health is a right. You know, you have a right to feel okay. You have a right to have the help you need to feel okay. Um, so I would love to partner with her and start a clinic where we can help people who are vulnerable and underserved and get them the care that they need. So that's kind of what our life goal is, is to do that. Um, I've always felt like mental health is so important. And, and as someone who is on medication and, and, and seeks active counseling, um, there is so much stigma surrounding that that needs to be broken down. And there is so much um, that people need to be aware of. So 
anyways, that is kind of what I wanted to talk about today. I just wanted to go through some of my, some of my thoughts and feelings and, um, yeah, hope you enjoyed it and we will, we'll talk with you later. <laughs>